Hello, and welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. This week at Edgewood. Let's get to uh, what we've been talking about in 1 Corinthians so far. We were introduced to the Corinthians while studying Acts. Okay, It's an important city. Now, what I'm doing right now, by the way, is trying to get you to enter into the existence of the Corinthians. And I'm hoping that you'll see as I'm talking about this that it connects to you. Of the the cities in um, Paul's time period, Corinth is one of those cities that I think ought to be one of those cities where you say, I relate to these people. Okay? Now, Danville isn't necessarily a prominent city. I've heard from history that it was at one point. Corinth was a prominent city. Philosophers are important. Wisdom is important. Living life well is important to the Corinthians. And I think that even regardless of everything else, in our society, in our culture, across the board, these are things that come across as being important. Wealth is important. Society is important, or social status. Health is important to the Corinthians. They had regular games. They had their 5K fun runs, right? Um, does it sound like us at all? No? <laughs> Not the 5K front run? No? Um, but I think in many ways that this society, even this church, this Corinthian church, would have come across as being or would have seemed like a prosperous, well-to-do, doing well kind of church. But they had issues. Specifically, the one that Paul's addressing has to do with conflict, a lack of unity. In the first sermon that we had on 1 Corinthians, in that first sermon, I talked about their Paul's gratitude for them. So he starts off this letter to them where they're having these issues with gratitude. Not jumping into a harsh rebuke, but thanking God for who they are. In the second sermon, he talks about unity. He brings this topic up right off the bat. As soon as he's grateful to God, he jumps into unity. That was our second sermon. Hasn't been that way for the Corinthian church. They have been focused on styles and personalities and followings. And Paul is confronting those party issues. In our third sermon last week, flowing out of this plea for unity, and this is why I'm doing this little review, is flowing out of this plea for unity, he flows right into this big picture idea. Something about the gospel and wisdom and power. Keely, it's not in keeping with man's wisdom on how the true power of God is revealed. Okay? I'm going to summarize, as we jump into this next part, I want to summarize last week's sermon with just one verse. I have to be careful because I could re-preach the whole thing. Okay? Verse 18 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, For the word of the cross, the word of the cross, see that, that means we, we think cross, right? Pretty, nice little scarf draped across it. The cross would have been the epitome of humiliation and degradation. The word of the cross is folly, it's foolishness. We don't naturally link those things, but for the Corinthian people, when they would have heard the word of the cross, the cross would have been a picture of the ultimate in a life not lived well. The opposite end of that spectrum would have been that cross. I think that them seeing a cross up here would have been a similar feeling as if we would have 
an electric chair mounted on the wall. Right? Weird. But it's folly, not to all, but what does he say? To those who are perishing. You start to see a little a bit of this flip. So the word of the cross, perishing, this word of the cross is foolishness to who? Those who are in actuality perishing. And ultimately, those who are headed to ultimate destruction, this cross is foolishness. It's the opposite of wisdom. But to us who are being saved, not just saved, but thus, for us who are being saved, which by the way, as we go through Corinthians, I hope that one of the things that you get out of this book is when we get to the end, you will stop seeing your salvation as something that happened and start seeing it as something that happened, is happening, and is going to happen. Because the Bible always talks about it in the three tenses. It's very, in fact, it's very seldom just referred to as something that has happened. Usually it's referred to something that's going to happen and, or is happening currently. That's what we see in this verse. But to us who are being saved, what is it? It is the, I want you to say, it, it is the power of God. It's wisdom. Think about power of God as wisdom displayed. Wisdom worked out. True wisdom worked out. Wisdom accomplished. Now, Paul's going to continue this thought, but before I go any further, I'm going to pause and I'm going to pray as we jump into this next thing because I want you to think about what I have today as part two of what we talked about last week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I do thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. I pray now that before I go any further and before I step into this passage that you would give me wisdom, true wisdom from above to speak these words in a way that is accurate, and displays the power of the cross. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let's jump into verse 25. That's where we're going to be at the rest of chapter 1, verse 25 to the end. Paul continues this thought, and notice what he says here. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Charles Erdman, a commentator, he says this, Paul, is who he's talking about, is speaking in irony and is insisting that a way of salvation which men of the world regard as weak and foolish is in reality the way, a way of divine wisdom and power. In other words, when Paul says the foolishness of God, he's not implying that there's any foolishness actually in God. What's he saying? He's speaking in irony, right? He's trying to be ironic and he says what people would see as foolishness Right? That foolishness of God, what they'd say, that's the foolishness of God. That's wiser than anything that man has. And what seemed like weakness in Christ being taken to a cross, led like a sheep to the slaughter, that weakness that was displayed in Christ when he was nailed to a cross. Remember those pictures we looked at last week where the nails, how they would have gone into those feet, right? And hung up there. That's weakness to the world. To us who are being saved, man, that's power. I, I think in a very real sense, I've, I mean, just even in looking at Christ's humanity, because if you had the ability that Christ had, would you have gone the distance to the cross? At some point, 
May, I think for me it would have been when they were mocking. Right? When they had them blindfolded and they're smacking, who hit you? I think that would have been it for me. I would have said, 10,000 angels, come on. Struck them all dead. I think in a very real way, it does for us, for us who are being saved, we see what Christ did. And I, I'm just going to be honest with you, I see it as like just amazingly, like, this is going to sound horrible, but Christ is the man in my head. I mean, the fact that he could do that, could endure that, by God's divine power, but I know that it was done in, in his humanity. He felt the way I would have felt physically. The fact that he allowed that to happen. And so I, I started to see this, what seemed like weakness to the world. I mean, those, those soldiers, when they were smacking him, they're like, man, this guy's pathetic. That, that's most likely, can you imagine what they were thinking? Like, this guy said he was the king. In the mocking of the sign, this is the king of the Jews. I mean, what a mockery and a humiliation. As I mentioned last week, he would have been stripped naked on that pole. The degradation he suffered. I would have hopped off. I probably wouldn't have even made it to the cross. But Christ made it the distance. And I, I start to see that aspect of that divine power. It's strength to us. What to the world was weakness is to us power. Because we know that ultimately, why did he do those things? I mean, isn't it just such a picture of God's loving sacrifice that he did that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish? I mean, he's doing that for our life. We sit here in gratitude and we think, man, he did that for us. That is the power of God for us. But I love what Paul does next, Okay. Are you ready for this? I love what Paul does next. Paul, what Paul is going to do next, I'm going to be honest with you, for some it might sting just a little. Okay? For some of you, you're going to go, yeah, I knew that. But for some of you, it might sting just a little bit. Paul is going to take this picture of the cross and this, the, the wisdom of God displayed in weakness by Christ going to the cross. He's going to take that and he's going to, Paul's going to say, let me show you how it's true in your everyday life. So I want you to imagine the Corinthian church all sitting together, maybe hearing this read, and I want you to kind of enter into what he says next. Well, he says this. Oops, sorry, I have that in the wrong spot. Don't worry, I'll come back to that. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Now, I, I want you to imagine those Corinthians at this point, and I... I want to suggest that maybe it was even encouraged to look around. And I want you to actually do that. Look around right now. Look at these other people in here. Some of you don't want to make eye contact with anybody. You're like, I don't want to look at anybody else. Okay. Some of you are like, I don't care. I'll look at you right in the eye. This word calling, Paul's talking about, for consider your calling. He's talking about their, their station in life. It could mean other things. But in this context, he's saying, consider where you've ended up in life. Okay? Your station, your, your, your job, your occupation, your status, your social standing, all, kind of all those things wrapped in one. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Now, to the Corinthians, was wisdom being wise and philosophy, was that really important to them? Yeah. 
Paul says, consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Not many. Now, there may have been a few. Sosthenes was from Corinth. He might have had some measure of social standing, at least at one point. I don't know if he still had it as part of the church. There could have been Priscilla and Aquila were there. They may have been kind of well-off and well-to-do. So it's not, he's not saying none of you had anything at all, but he's saying, for the most part, look around you, Corinthians. And I want to suggest this even today. In fact, I hope this doesn't sting too much. I don't think I've ever been a part of a church where this is displayed as well as it is here. Did that hurt? Let me read the verse again and see if that hurts a little bit. Uh, For considering your calling, Edgewood, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful, influential, think of it that way. Not many were of noble birth. Now some of you are going, that's true. I just love, I love this. I love what Paul's doing here because he's taking this, this big picture idea and he's saying, he's starting to lay out some groundwork that it's, it's played out in, in our actual lives. In fact, it's played out in the actual who of God's people. Now, I wanted you to know that I throw myself into that lot. I know it's possible, although I don't understand it, I know it's possible that some of you might think of me and think, well, Matt, you're, you're doing pretty well. I want you to know I'm an idiot. Okay, I, I am. I, I actually, um, and I'm going to prove my idiocy here in just a moment. Um, I actually, I, I go through this ongoing thing, and I may have mentioned this in church before, but I go through this, this ongoing sense in all the situations that I'm in, um, and it's illustrated in my head by a cartoon, Okay. Hence the music you started to hear a second ago. I'll play that for you. Now, this particular cartoon comes from the Animaniacs, which most of you probably don't know, but there was a particular sequence in the Animaniacs where there was this giant chicken, okay? Now, some of you are looking at me like, are we really talking about a giant chicken at church on Sunday? Yes, we are. I told you I was an idiot, okay? Now, this giant chicken in the little sequence would regularly put on a disguise of some sort because he wanted to be a person, and he was a tall chicken, so it kind of, you know, he was bigger than the other chicken. And he would, he would put on some kind of outfit, and usually it kind of like fell onto him. He wasn't even trying, like, my, my, the one that always sticks out of my head is this one where he accidentally walks into a hospital, and something happens, and he ends up with a doctor's coat on. Now, he's obviously a chicken, but the doctor's coat on. And so people just start treating him like he's doctor somebody, that he's important, and he knows what he's doing. And he gets into all these situations in the cartoon where he's going all, all around, you know, and, and things are happening. And finally, at some point near the end, it's always a really short segment. At some point at the end, s- something happens where his, like the, the stethoscope falls off or the jacket falls off. And somebody goes, wait a minute. You're not a doctor. You're a chicken. Okay. I'll play you the theme song. It's short. I may have to go back and then come back to it. Here's, here's Chicken Boo. Sorry. Apologize for my idiocy. What's the matter with you? You don't act like the other chickens do. You wear a disguise to look like human guys, but you're not a man, you're a chicken boo. Now, that last part of that song, 
comes into my head all the time. I'm always, think, I'm always thinking that's going to happen. Like when I'm at school and they, they've kind of like given me, I'm filling in for the dean job and I'm kind of helping. So, you know, people are like asking me questions and stuff. I'm constantly in my head thinking somebody's going to figure me out that you don't actually know anything, Matt. <laughs> you, you, you don't know anything. How did you get? And I feel like that. I feel like somehow I've fallen into a church. I feel that way at church sometimes. I'm like, I'm standing up here. And I feel like you guys are like, ah, oh, Pastor Matt. And I feel like one of these days, somebody's going to go, wait a minute. You're not a pastor. And I don't know what the rest of that. I'm not a chicken. I don't know what the rest of that is. But I operate in this, this mental state. And so I want you to know, when I read these verses, I feel like I fall right into that. And this is one of my favorite things about this church, because I look around and I look at you and I look at me and I think, man, not many of us, let me go back to that verse, Right? Consider our calling, how we've ended up in life. Even those of us that have somehow managed, some possibly accidentally, to fall into some position of some importance where we have some measure of responsibility, I think most of us look around at each other and we go, we don't know what we're doing. We're winging it all the time. And I can see from your nods, a lot of you agree. We're going, yeah. yeah. For those of you that, that might sting a little bit, if you're walking through life thinking, I've got this figured out, I want you to know you don't. You don't. Not really. You're not a man. You're a chicken. Now, but consider what Paul is doing here as he continues with this thought. And we're going to continue into this. He's going to push it in a little bit further. He's taking a big idea... God's wisdom seems like foolishness to people, but this wisdom is ultimately the power of God. And then Paul says this, he takes it out and he says, this actually works, this big idea plays out in your life. Anybody ever seen one of those t-shirts that says thug life? Some of you are like, no. I, I, I think we, we ought to have some t-shirts that say cross life. Because this is what he's doing. He's saying he's taking this big idea, this cross mentality that, that to the world seems like weakness. Paul's saying this actually plays out every single day. In fact, it plays out into the actual who you are. Let's keep reading. God chose, in other words, God planned, chose. This is an important verb here. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. I, I talked about this verse near Christmas time. This is the verse that I cling to uh, when I say, okay, I'll get up and preach again this Sunday. Okay? I think about this in almost every week. God chose what is foolish in the world to confound the wise. I am go, God, well, you said it's true. I'm, I'm banking everything on that. That... Like I mentioned last week, there was uh, one commentator that said, with this thing, in the cross, Christ has affirmed the nothings and the nobodies. And so here we are, a bunch of nothings and nobodies. But Christ has affirmed us, and God has chosen. In fact, it's part of God's plan. That he actually, I think, goes out of his way to get the foolish of the world to confound the wise, to shame the wise. 
He chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not. That is literally even non-beings, nobodies. I love that. To bring to nothing the things that are. Because then he enters into a purpose behind this. You see the purpose in this verse? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Nobody. And I mean nobody. Will stand before God because there's something else. Not, not a soul will stand before God and say, I'm here because I figured it out. I'm here because I figured out the secret to life. I figured out the deep things of this world. I did, not a soul will stand before God with any room ever so slightly to boast. Do you understand this? I'm going to be honest right now. I think some of you forget when you see people in the world that are blowing it big time, and sometimes you look at them and you go, what's wrong with them? And I want to say to you right now, what's wrong with you? If not, but for the grace of God, you'd be worse off than anybody. You cannot look at a thing in your life, anything that's going what you might deem as well, anything that you might tack on, I've got some measure, and think about what this means to the Corinthians, some measure of status. I've accomplished this, or I've done this, or I've achieved this. Any little bit of you that starts to look at it and go, I'm better than, then you're missing it, and I want to go, what's wrong with you? That you think that you have something to boast. God chose. God chose. And he chose you, not because you're so awesome, but because he wants to display his glory. Right? He wants to display his glory. You, in all of your weaknesses and messed upness, are a picture of God's grace. And I'm kind of saying today, embrace that. <laughs> Just embrace it. You're a messed up human being. So am I. We all are. The people that think they have it all together, they are too. Man, I'm, I'm a messed up person. But for the grace of God, I would be completely given over to that messed upness. But I'm here today. Why? Simply because of the grace of God. Listen to this next verse, and this is the key to pulling all these little loose ends together. How does this work in my brain? And you're going to see in this next verse, something is going to be said about who Christ is, but I want you to know it also says something about what or who you are. Are. See, because I could dwell in the messed upness, and some people dwell in that messed upness and just kind of live there. But I want you to listen to this next verse. 
And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God. Now, it's so, so very important that I get all of your attention right now. Just if you need to shake your head, smack yourself in the face, zone in on this. You ready for this? The structure of this verse is hugely important, and the the English translation that we have here does a good job of displaying that. Notice what it says here. Because of him, you are, okay, so keep those words in mind. You are, so it's going to say you are something. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. So it's kind of like a side thought here. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, comma, picking up the thought again, what, what you are. So you could say, because of him, you are righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In the grammar of the Greek, that is what Paul is saying. Paul wants us to know not just what Christ is, the wisdom from God, but also because of him and being in him, this is what you are. You are righteousness. What does that mean? That means that in Christ, you have been declared, and I love this, this ties right back into what we're talking about with the past, present, and future tense aspect of salvation. You are righteous. You have been declared. The Bible talks about, and Paul specifically talks about, that the moment that you have put your faith in Christ, because God has opened up your heart, and you, I believe, boom, righteous declaration, justification, Right? legal term that says God declared you righteous in the courts of heaven. As God sees you, you are legally just if you're in Christ. Now we know I'm not really just. See that messed upness is still there in our heads, right? How could I ever be just? Legally, God, how? Because of Christ, the wisdom from God worked out salvation His righteousness, the Bible uses the word, imputed to you, your sinfulness, put on Christ. He died under the wrath of God, bore all penalty for the sin, legal, right? Taking care of the legal demands, right? So that justice is served, so that God can be just, but also merciful in what he did for us. So you, when you go, I believe. I didn't believe before, but I do now. I believe that I'm, I'm going to put everything, all my stock in this. Gavel. Righteous. You. In Christ, you are righteous. You can walk around knowing. Today. I, it, it eliminates that, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry that I'm just such a screw. What's God doing? He... He sees you, and he sees you through that lens of Jesus Christ, and he says, righteous, righteous, righteous. You are righteousness, and what? Sanctification. This is the same word that's often translated holy. We often use this word sanctified in the sense of being made. And I think that's precisely where Paul's headed with this thought. You're righteous, but you're also been set apart. That's literally what the word holy means, set apart. You are now God's people. 
I know you might look in the mirror sometimes and think to yourself, what was God thinking? (laughs) Choosing me. I think he knew exactly what he was thinking. He gets all the glory. You are his. You are righteous. You are set apart now. This is being saved because God set you apart. What's he start to do? And this is why this word is also used in another context. When we think about it as being cleansed. I mean, we're, we're, we're righteous. And since we're already clean, but then there's this process while we're here, when God starts to work out that salvation in your life. And so then you, maybe you start making better choices. And this is where it gets tricky for many of us. We start making better choices and we start doing some right things and we start living the right kind of way. And we start doing these things. And it's so easy at this moment to start thinking, I'm pretty good. I was an idiot over there, but now I'm pretty good. But if you don't, you can't forget the reality of your salvation. Why are you even making any good choices at this point now? God's grace, working out through you, displaying his glory. Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Literally a a term that's talking about people who were bought back in this context I think, and I'm going to use the words of Charles Erdman, he says, he not only paid the price of sin, but he rose from the dead and gave promise to his followers of, re- of a redemption, which ultimately would include the body as well as the soul. I think that where he's pointing now is future. You have been saved. You're being saved. You will be. There's, there's a point in your future where this work of setting you apart for his purposes will become complete. The day that you take your final breath and your heart starts beating, stops beating and you step foot into God's kingdom, you receive that new body and that new name. Everything will be complete at that point. We're still here being saved. But we can have a confidence that eventually this work is going to be completed. It's going to happen. You are not, in this room, the top tier of society, right? But if you have your faith in him and what he's done, you are in right standing with God. Not because you deserved it. Nope. Not because you were needed for the big work that's happening because of the grace of God. And so I want to encourage you this week to accept cross life. See, this can start to work out. I'm going to give you one application right here. You know, one way this works out is now when you're out and you're out there and you meet somebody and you see where they're at and you see what they're doing, you won't go, ah, you'll go, Lord, you can save me, you can save them. I'm not as messed up as they are. Or you might say it the other way. I'm way more messed up than they are. God, if you can save me, you can save them. Live out a cross life. You are not the smartest, wisest people in Danville. 
but you are being sanctified and set apart for God's work. You're being cleansed of your sinful ways and set apart for God's purposes. You are God's people, not because you figured something out that nobody else could figure out, right? But because of the grace of God, live this cross life through your week. You see people, and you know, man, you ought to go to church, you ought to do this, you ought to read your Bible. Understand, you're not knowing those things because you're smarter than anybody else. It's just the grace of God. You are not the healthiest, wealthiest, richest people in Danville, but you are redeemed. And one day you're going to enter into God's eternal kingdom. Not because you qualified, but simply again because of the grace of God. It's all him. That last verse at the very end, Paul had a statement there, and you see it's in quotes. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. That's a quote from Jeremiah chapter 9, uh, verses 23 and 24. In that context, Jeremiah is telling people, he's going through a list of things that people typically boast in. Think for yourself and enter into things that you, maybe you nail it and you start to go, man, I got it. Some of you go, I don't really have any of those things, but every once in a while we have something. We do pretty good. Jeremiah goes down that list of all the possible things and you could tack on so many more things in there. Maybe, maybe you've got financial stability now. Maybe you've got your retirement saved up. Maybe you've got a, a really good job now. Maybe you've got uh, all your kids are behaving. Maybe you've got uh, all your grandkids are doing what they're supposed to do. Now, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I'm looking around the room like, well, how can I fit somebody and everybody into this category? But there could be something that you, man, I got to this point. I feel like I got a little notch, a little bit. Jeremiah says, whatever you boast in, don't boast in any of those things. Boast only in the fact that you know the Lord. I love it when I see people through the day and you meet somebody that has captured this idea. And uh, there's one guy in particular at work, I didn't know this before, one guy in particular at work that uh, it's the new teacher um, that works down the welding area. He always says, um, and I, I know you guys are going to know people that do this, I'll say, how you doing, or how's this, or what's going, you know? And he'll always say, I'm just blessed. I love that because he's acknowledging, and I know this because I've actually talked to him a little bit beyond that. He's acknowledging the fact that if there's anything good, it's a gift. If there's anything good, it's just been given to him. If there's anything going well, it, and he includes in that, Aspects of even his own decision-making process. Like, I've decided to do this or decided to do this, but that's just... And he, in talking with him, he, he, he'll say it. He goes, that's just God, because I would have... And some of you know exactly what this is like. Don't forget that. If you have anything to boast in, boast in the fact that you know who God is, that he's revealed himself to you. It will give you mercy and compassion for all those around you, will encourage you to share the gospel, this good news. And you will start to see the best potential in people, not because of what they bring to the table, but because of how great God is. I love that thought.
Because what it does in me is it turns me around to thinking like everybody I see when I'm thinking in the right way with this cross mindset, everybody I see, I go, man, God could use you for something. And God could use you for something. And God could use you for something. There's not a, when you're thinking the right way, there's not a person you meet that you don't go, man, God could do something amazing with you. You tell it to some people and they go, huh? It makes sense. It's foolishness to the world because people that have messed up their lives, they go, hey, you've kind of blown it. But the people that have a cross mentality, all they see is that. And they go, man, you could be something. God could do something with you. You could be God's righteousness. You could be God's sanctification. You could be his redemption. You could be a perfect picture of the wisdom of God. Have that mentality as you go through your week with everybody that you see. Now, I'm going to pray. And uh, as I'm praying, I'm going to have the guys come up while I'm praying because I'm going to go ahead and pray for this communion bread and this cup. And uh, as I pray, I'm praying that God will bless what we do next to encourage you to keep in mind this cross way of living. Heavenly Father, God, I do just want to thank you for um, your words. I thank you for Paul. I thank you for the things that he's written to the Corinthians. Lord, I thank you for this bread and this cup. Lord, I thank you that you've given this to us to remember you. Lord, I pray that today as we hold this bread and we hold this cup and we're waiting in that moment, before we take them together. God, I ask that you would help us to really and truly remember who you are and what you did. Lord, I know that many of us in this room have struggled with forgetting that. Lord, some of, the, some of those in this room have forgotten that. And the way they've forgotten it is they've started to think they're, pretty, they're doing pretty good. They start to boast in themselves. Some have forgotten it, Lord, because they haven't, they haven't done it well at all. They've forgotten that in you, because of your great power, they are righteous in your eyes. They are sanctified. They're set apart for your purposes. I pray that you'd be with them as well, not to forget you. Whichever end of the spectrum we might fall on through our week, whether it's in boasting of ourselves or denying your power. God, help us to remember you and what you've done. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.